Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Kaya at the Game. I'm your host, Kaya, and thank you so much for tuning in for another week of Talking Sports with me. I wanted to start my episodes off with a weekly recap where I talk about my favorite games of the week, what I've been up to, and any interesting sports news that has crossed my feed that I want to bring up a little bit about. So, starting off with some of my favorite games, I mentioned in my first episode that I am a student at Gonzaga University, and because of that, I love college basketball, and I love the Zags. So, my favorite games from this last week were, first off, our women's basketball team hosted number three Stanford. On Sunday, I unfortunately was unable to go because of a prior commitment, so I watched as much as I could on TV before I had to leave. And they beat Stanford by 22 points, which is a program record for the most points they've ever beat a team by. And they broke a program record for attendance. The Kennel, which is the McCarthy Center, where we host our basketball games, was full. And that's just so exciting for our women's basketball team who is extremely successful and I love to watch them play. So because of this, they're the NCAA team of the week and they've just had an amazing season. They have one of the toughest non-conference schedules in program history and the toughest non-conference schedule under their head coach, Lisa Fortier. So it's so exciting to see them perform well against such a strong team in Stanford. Now, it's important to note that Cameron Brink sadly was ill and unable to play after the first quarter. And she's a player to watch. She's amazing. She was the Pac-12 player of the week two weeks ago, I believe maybe three by the time this comes out, and she's just a powerhouse. So it's a shame that she didn't get to play in the game, but the Zags women basketball team really showed out, and they performed well. So it'll be exciting to see them continue their non-conference play, go into the conference play, and see where they end up come March Madness. My second favorite game of the week was another GU game. Our GU men played USC in Las Vegas at a classic tournament that I cannot remember the name of for the life of me. And it was a really great, fun game to watch. They played really strong. They beat USC, which they were favored to win, but I don't think anybody saw them winning by as many points as they did. And it was just fun to see them play Gonzaga basketball, fast-paced basketball. Everybody scored... I think we had like four players in double digits, so great game to watch, fun game to watch on the TV, it was on ESPN. So those are my two basketball games, and in the future I'll also talk about non-GU games, but this last weekend, when I'm recording it, it will have been this last weekend, was a big one here at Gonzaga. The other favorite game I have is the Manchester City versus Tottenham game. That game was kind of crazy. I turned it on late when I woke up on Sunday, and now the FA is actually charging the club because of 
Holland's reaction when the ref stopped play and prevented Man City from having a scoring attempt after an equalizer. So the game ended in a draw, but Man City had a chance to win it all and the ref didn't do the proper call in my opinion and in Holland's opinion. He's not in trouble or anything, but he did go on social media and react to that. And because of that, the club is being fined. They had until Thursday, December 6th to respond, and that's when I'm recording this. So I don't really know what the response was to that, but it was a good game to watch overall. As for some updates into what I'm doing... Right now is the last week of classes before finals, which is next week, so I am writing all my final papers. I have three, and they're just so, so fun. Guys, let me tell you, I love writing. Um, So yeah, I've been writing a bunch of papers, studying for two of my f- actual tests, And then I've been covering some basketball for the Gonzaga Bulletin, which is GU's newspaper. Be sure to check it out and support student media because student media is where it all starts. And that has been fun. And then just preparing for the spring semester as Girls Club welcomes new interns. Be sure to check out Girls Club at Sports Girls Club on Instagram because It's such an amazing resource for women who want to work in the sports industry. Finally, this week, I only really want to talk about one sports news event because there's just so many to choose from, but this seems really important to talk about. FSU did not make it into the college football playoffs, and people think they were cheated. So, college football playoffs are like so interesting and the four teams are decided by a committee and the committee this year chose Alabama who lost one game in the regular season and they just beat Georgia in the SEC championship so they chose Alabama to play Michigan who is undefeated over the undefeated Florida State. And the reason that they did this is that Florida State's quarterback, starting quarterback, broke his leg earlier in the season, and they do not think that it would be a good game or something like that. But I think that Florida State should be in it because they're an undefeated team in one of the big five leagues. But that's just my opinion. And Bama's a great team as well. They're coming off of a win against UGA. So overall, they'll be facing Michigan, who definitely wanted to be playing FSU. But it'll be a good game nonetheless. Alright, so let's get into the main topic of this episode, which is something that I love so, so much. Women's soccer. Women's soccer is having such a moment right now, and I'm all here for it. Starting off with the U.S. Women's National Team, they've just finished their final friendlies of 2023 and are coming off with two wins from last week against China PR. It was a big deal when they announced the 
camp roster because Alex Morgan and a few other veterans were left off of that list. But I thought it was kind of great because a lot of younger talent was seen and that met the hopes of what they were looking for and seeing what younger talent had to offer. I was able to watch the first game, which was on a Saturday, and it had such a strong showing from Trinity Rodman, who had two assists and a goal, Sophia Smith, who had a goal, Naomi Gurma, who is just overall a really strong player all around, and then Haran, who had a goal and was also the captain this last two games. And she really showed up as a leader on that field, in my opinion. Abby Dahlkemper made her first U.S. Women's National Team appearance in 599 days after undergoing spinal fusion surgery and having spent the last year recovering. And she had such a good game, guys. It was so exciting to see her back on the pitch. And that was great. I think that there has been a lot of talk about the U.S. Women's National Team because they did not have a strong of a showing at the Women's World Cup that we expected them to see earlier this year, and we're aware of that, but they're really focusing on turning that around, and that has all started off with naming the new head coach, who is Emma Hayes, and I am so, so excited for Emma Hayes to come coach the U.S. Women's National Team. If you do not know who Emma Hayes is, she is an extremely successful coach who has been coaching Chelsea since 2012 and has won six Women's Super League titles with Chelsea. She is bringing so much experience to the U.S. Women's National Team, and a lot of that experience is taking young talent, working with them where they're at and shaping them into a strong team. And I think that's going to be so, so exciting for the U.S. women. So Hayes has not started coaching with the team yet. She has to finish her contract with Chelsea, so she is unable to join the team until May of 2024. However, she did fly down to meet the team at camp ahead of the final friendlies of the year, and Players are really looking forward to what she has to offer. Trinity Rodman even said she wants us to be the players that we came into these camps as. She doesn't want us molded into something else. She doesn't want to stray away from who we are. And said that first impressions are really good and that the team is looking forward to working with Hayes. So overall, I think it's going to be really exciting to see her work with them. She's bringing a much-needed international perspective, in my opinion. I think that overall soccer has developed, but especially in women's soccer, the world is catching up with women's soccer here in the U.S. We've had such strong teams, and now the game is changing, and a lot of people are concerned that the U.S. hasn't adjusted accordingly. So I think that having Hayes in there will bring a much-needed international perspective, a perspective willing to work with the team, and one that will help the team adjust and become a stronger unit looking forward into Paris, but also the next World Cup. She will only have four games with the team before the Olympics, so those games are going to be really important next summer.
as she figures out what squad she's taking to Paris and who are going to be those starters. Looking ahead to Paris, though, there is so much going on there. So, the way that European teams qualify for the Olympics is awful. And because of how it works, we will not be seeing Sweden or Great Britain at the Paris Olympics next summer. Sweden failed to qualify for the Paris Games, even though they were third at the World Cup and received silver at the last games. And the Lionesses also failed to qualify despite a 6-0 win over Scotland. Simply because the Netherlands scored like, I believe, a fifth goal in the last minute and that prevented them from moving on. So for the first time, we will not be seeing Sweden and we will not be seeing Great Britain at the Paris 2024 games. So that is absolutely crazy. And honestly, it's kind of insane to think about because I cannot remember a World Cup or an Olympics where I haven't seen Sweden or the Lionesses. One final thing I want to talk about on the international scale is that Christine Sinclair played her final match for Team Canada last week. And something really cool that they did is they renamed the stadium for just that one game, Christine Sinclair Place, and I just love that so much. If you don't know who she is, she is the world's top international goal scorer with 190 goals. Cristiano Ronaldo, who leads the men, only has 128 international goals, so props to her. She is among five women to appear in six World Cups and one of three women to score in five of those World Cups. And she's just a trailblazer for soccer and an inspiration for so many people in soccer and so many young girls. And I just wanted to mention her and that she played her final game and that she will be missed so much. She's such a leader for Team Canada, but it's going to be an interesting Olympics without so many soccer legends who have been leading the way for women's soccer for so many years. So now I want to bring it back and talk a little bit about college women's soccer. Last Monday was the Women's College Cup between two undefeated squads, Florida State and Stanford. Florida State came out the victors, beating Stanford 5-1 and becoming the first undefeated champion in over a decade joining that 2011 Stanford squad that went 23-0. So the Seminoles and Cardinals have made history as the first NCAA Division I teams to be undefeated, making it into the national championship game, which is so exciting. Stanford, in fact, did not allow a multi-score game So they didn't allow their opponents to score multiple goals against them all season until this game where Florida State came out the victor. So Florida State only had one shot in the first 28 minutes of play, but they scored two goals in the 29th and were up 2-0 at half. They came out so strong in the second half, which is what I was able to catch, and played such a great game in order to claim their third national title in the last six years. 
So overall, FSU is an extremely dominant attacking team. They're very dominant defensively as well, and that's why they were entering ranked first. So some fun facts just about the game is that Stanford hadn't conceded five or more goals in a game since 1996. And this 2023 squad only allowed 10 goals scored against them all season. And Florida State was able to score five on them in this game. Stanford became the first team to score on the Seminoles in the NCAA tournament, though, after Maya Doms broke through in the 52nd minute but they were not able to overcome that Florida State offense. It was just really a battle of like offense versus defense, and both teams played a great season and a great game, but it really speaks to the Seminoles and how they are just such a strong team, especially this squad, and that is why they are now second all-time in D1 women's soccer history with four national championships, passing Stanford, and trailing only North Carolina. So I'm excited to see where the Seminoles go from here, but also excited to see Stanford and how they come back from this next season. It's also important to note that this was Stanford's return to the national championship after 2020 when they lost their goalie. Katie Meyer, who took her own life, sadly. She was such a strong player, and it was completely heartbreaking to the soccer community, and especially her coaches and family, friends, teammates, after that happened. And a lot of players were unable to play the next season, and Stanford has really shown their dedication and their resilience coming back from that to be able to become an undefeated squad this season and bring it all to the national championship. They sported some butterflies in honor of Myers during the warmups, and they really showed this beautiful message for her at halftime. So Stanford really played an amazing game and they deserve to be where they were. So I'm really excited to see everything play out next season. So the final topic surrounding women's soccer I wanted to talk about is the USL Super League, which is something that is so exciting. So the USL, the United Soccer League, is one of the fastest growing professional soccer leagues in the world, and it is all based here in the US. There's a lot of men's teams and Spokane, Washington, where I attend school, just started a USL League One team, which kicks off their first game is in March. And then they just announced the naming crest for their USL Super League team. So the USL Super League is a new professional women's soccer league kicking off in August of 2024 with eight initial teams, and it will only continue to grow from there. And it's something to look out for as more and more teams will be revealed. As I've said, Spokane will have one of those teams, 
and I had the opportunity to attend the Name and Crest reveal last month and cover it as a student journalist for the Bulletin. And so I attended this event for, it was for the entire community, and it was so amazing to see so many people, especially young girls, in gear waiting to find out the name and the logo and everything for this women's professional soccer team that would be coming here, a town that loves basketball, but they apparently love soccer too. So the team will be called the Spokane Zephyr FC, and Zephyr means winds from the west, which is really cool because Spokane is one of, I believe, two initial teams that are west coast teams, and most of the teams are on the east coast. And the colors are this like really pretty blue, a gold, a like gray. It's really cool. If you want to see it, check it out online. I also posted a reel and a TikTok about my experience covering it. And it was just really amazing to see all these people supporting women's sports and women's soccer at this event. I had the opportunity to meet the woman who owns the team and also the woman who runs the USL Super League and the USLW League. So Spokane will also have a W League team, but they have not announced the name of that yet. The W League is a developmental league for professional women's soccer as well, which will kick off either next year or the year after. But it's really exciting because Spokane is one of eight initial markets, and I know I'm excited to go to a game when they kick off play in August. The stadium's really cool. It's just so amazing. I think the USL Super League is so important for women to be given opportunities to play professionally, but also for young girls to see people in their communities playing professional soccer. I know that as a young girl, seeing people playing soccer and seeing the U.S. Women's National Team on the TV was so inspiring for me. And I am so, so excited for young girls to be able to see professional soccer in their community and realize that there are available pathways for them to get there one day themselves. So the Super League is just something that I wanted to highlight and something that I'll be following and I hope you guys continue to follow as well. So I guess that's all I have for you today. Thank you so much for joining me for another episode of Kaya at the Game and listening to me talk soccer with all of you. I love women's soccer and trust me, there will be a ton more episodes surrounding women's soccer and it truly is having its moment right now. So be sure to catch up on some women's soccer games if you have the time. I hope that you guys all have a wonderful rest of your day and a wonderful rest of your week wherever you're at. I hope you guys catch some games and be sure to follow me on socials. My TikTok is Kaya D. Crawford and my Instagram is K at the game. So once again, thanks for listening and I hope you guys have a lovely rest of your day.